Thank you to each one who participated in our service tonight. That was great. Thank you for coming back. It's a wonderful attendance that we have this evening. study of uh, Joseph, we have been uh, zooming in and zooming out, as it were, on uh, the narrative, zooming in, looking in particular at Joseph and the relationship that he had to his brothers, and then zooming out to get a bigger picture of what a sovereign God is doing in the nation of Israel and in the history of our world. Tonight is my second last message out of this series. Uh, tonight we're zooming in pretty tightly on the family of Joseph again and looking at some application about how we are to relate to other family members. And then next week uh, we're going to zoom out to see the overall purpose of God and all the events that took place in Joseph's life and see how they impacted history right down to this very day in which we live. So I appreciate your support of this series, and tonight the second last in that series, looking at, in particular, uh, the life of Joseph and his brothers. So, family life after Jacob's death. Jacob is perceived as the glue, as it were, that held the family together. Genesis 50, verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph should bear a grudge against us and pay us back in full for all the wrong that we have done to him? So there is this concern. Once Jacob is off the scene, what is Joseph going to do? The brothers' fear demonstrates they still not fully trust Joseph. They thought that perhaps because of Jacob that Joseph hasn't gotten even. But once Jacob dies, then he's going to get even for their having sold him into bondage. The brothers' fear demonstrates they still not fully understand what motivated Joseph. And the brothers' fear demonstrates that they still labored under a sense of guilt. Application. Nothing reveals the true status of family relationships than the death of a patriarch. When a very godly individual in a family, especially one that is the leader of that family, such as a father, a grandfather, someone that has been looked to for wisdom and direction, when that person dies, it really reveals where the spiritual life is of those that are left behind. What is going to occur? Uh, do they remain faithful to God? Do they continue in the family traditions? Or do they begin to branch off into an entirely different 
way of life. I knew a, a man, an elder, and after he died, uh, his wife uh, went on to, to marry a non-believer. And it kind of shocked the rest of the family. But obviously, the influence of her first husband had a tremendous impact upon her. And after he died, that impact was gone. And she began to live a bit differently than what she had lived previously. Uh, It really reveals what is taking place in the life of a family. B. The brothers appear to have resorted to a lie in appealing to their dead father as a means of restraining Joseph. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father charged before he died, saying, It's doubtful that that ever took place. But verse 17, Thus shall you say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of God your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And then I repeat that verse again and with the emphasis that Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Uh, this created an emotional uh, impact upon Joseph. Why did he weep? It would be pure speculation to answer that question. Uh, there could be a lot of good reasons that we could put forth why he would have wept. He might have wept over all of the emotion that comes back as he reflected on what his brothers had done and the misery and the heartache. He might have wept as he thought about his father saying these things just before his father died and uh, even though perhaps the father didn't really say them. He could have wept over the brothers' lack of trust in him. There could be a lot of different reasons. But the point is, in the passage, he wept. It it brought a uh, degree of turmoil to Joseph's life. But note, the brothers are still not believing. Back in Genesis 45, uh, Joseph had already dealt with this issue with his brothers. And now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves. Because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. This is back in the time in which they were coming down to Egypt for food and he had put the money back in their sacks and finally revealed himself to them all the way back then. He said in verse 6, For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth, and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. A long time had passed between Genesis 45.5 and the death of Jacob. For we find out in Genesis 47.28, and Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So, 17 years had passed from the time in which Joseph first says to his brothers, You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to preserve many people alive. Seventeen years have passed. Jacob finally dies, and now the brothers are afraid that Joseph is finally going to get 
even. But, as we say, the brothers are also still relying upon sinful and manipulated practices in order to achieve their ungodly ends. They don't just appeal directly to Joseph and uh, look for forgiveness. Rather, they're referring to their dead father and uh, trusting that that's going to have an impact. Application. It is a terrible thing when individuals will misrepresent the wishes and words of the deceased for personal gain and or advantage. Uh, It happens. It happens. Uh, Sometimes wills are altered. Sometimes people will seek to go against the will by saying that their parents communicated to them in private uh, something different than what the will has to say. And that their, their parents wanted them to have a certain heirloom or uh, wanted the monies to be dispersed in a different way. Uh, sometimes those things are true. Sometimes those things are not. But it is a sad state of affairs when people misrepresent the dying words and the dying wishes of a patriarch. Seems to be what happened here. But the brothers humbled themselves before Joseph. Genesis 50, verse 18. And his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. This again demonstrates the tensions that still existed between Joseph and the rest of his brothers. This also is still another example of the fulfilling of the original revelation to Joseph. Remember that uh, when Joseph was 17, he received this revelation that his brothers and fathers would bow, his father would bow down to him. And that's been fulfilled on numerous occasions now uh, in uh, this, this narrative. But notice that Joseph continues to minister to his brothers. Genesis 50, verse 19. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. For am I in God's place? In other words, is it, my, is it in my prerogative to take vengeance upon you? He's saying, that's for God to judge. That's not me. Verse 20. And as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. That's exactly what he had said some 17 years earlier, back in Genesis chapter 45, verse 5. Nothing has changed. This is still Joseph's perspective. This is still Joseph's outlook. And it is the main thrust of this narrative. That's why next week, even though we have completed the story, I want to go back and just look at verse 20 of Genesis chapter 50 in some detail. Because it's the overarching purpose in Joseph's life. Then Joseph's life after his father's death. He continued to look, uh, live and work in Egypt, though the famine was over. Now Joseph stayed in Egypt. And note that Joseph was in Egypt for a very long time. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pastoring the flock. Then Genesis 11, 40, 40, excuse me, Genesis 41, 46. Now, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So, 13 years transpire from the time that he's sold into bondage till he's standing before Pharaoh and interpreting Pharaoh's dream. So, that's 13 years. 17 years have now passed from the time that the brothers have 
first come down to buy food until uh, Jacob has died. So we've got 30 years there. Now we find in verse 22 of Genesis 50 that Joseph lived in Egypt in his father's household and Joseph lived 110 years. So 80 years transpire after the account here of Joseph talking to his brothers after Jacob's death. So we got an additional 80 years of Joseph in the land of Egypt. Next, Joseph had many blessings regarding his own immediate family. And Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons. Also, the sons of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were born on Joseph's knees. So, three generations of his own son. So, that would mean that he, was, he saw his sons. He saw his grandsons. He saw his great-grandsons. And he saw his great great grandsons so joseph's life was blessed in this family uh, familial relationship and joseph has a really unique relationship with his his sons and his his grandchildren which is very interesting in this in some senses you can say that joseph grew up in a pretty dysfunctional family I would say a family in which one person has showed such unique attention that Jacob did to Joseph. When you see about all the bartering that went on with the, the, the wives in order to have children, etc., etc. It's pretty fair to say it's an awfully dysfunctional family. And yet, Joseph comes out of that background and has a real model family life. Uh, of all the patriarchs, when you talk about their family, uh, Joseph is, is really unique in the fact that he doesn't multiply wives, in the fact that he's satisfied with, with uh, the sons that, that God gives him. Uh, it shows that one can come out of a dysfunctional family and have a very good family life. We are not just a product of our environment. God's grace can overcome in a powerful way. God can change people's hearts and minds. And we're to see that Joseph's relationship to God affected every facet of his life. Whether you look back in the time that he was a servant to um, Potiphar, until you look at the time in which he is servant to the jailer, until the time in which he's a servant of Pharaoh. When you look at his morality that's expressed while he's in Potiphar's household and, and won't have a relationship with Potiphar's wife that's inappropriate, you see that, that Joseph's life, his political life, his moral life, his family life, everything is affected by his relationship to God. He doesn't in any sense departmentalize his faith, but allows the integrity of his faith to permeate every aspect of his life, including, including what is central to this particular narrative 
in relationship to his brothers, that forgiving spirit, that he continues, he continues to forgive his, his brothers of their wrong against him. And humanly speaking, that is no small feat. When you think of the reality, and, and he doesn't in any sense mitigate what they have done. Notice in verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me. They weren't trying to do the will of God. They weren't sending him down there to preserve life. He says, you did this to harm me. He knew that. He knew that. He knew that they hated him. They made no bones about it. He heard them over talk. He was very much aware that some of the brothers wanted to kill him. But instead they decided to sell him into bondage. He knew all that. Now think about that. Think about knowing that, that your brothers or your sisters would hate you to such a degree that, that they would conspire to kill you. And then they'd have second thoughts. And they'd say, oh, we'll kill him. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just send him into bondage. We'll send him off and he's going to have a miserable and hard life. He was very much aware of the animosity, the hatred, the evil that motivated them. And Joseph only, with a underlining of the word only, responds to them in grace and mercy and love. He provides for them. He cares for them. And notice the way in which he cares for them. D. Joseph continued to encourage his brothers to place faith in God. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised an oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So right to the very point, he's on his deathbed now, and he encourages his brothers in the faith. Which, in keeping with the bigger picture of preserving life, it wasn't just the physical life that Joseph was concerned about with his brothers, but their spiritual lives as well. And so he teaches them about God's goodness, he teaches them about God's forgiveness, and he teaches them about God's promises and encourages them to place faith and trust in God. So the goodness that Joseph showed to his brothers was ultimately the goodness of God. Uh, that's what he was about. That's what motivated him. And Joseph died in great faith. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised an oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you and you shall carry my bones up from here. Now, he wasn't looking for that to be immediately fulfilled. He trusted God. He said, eventually you're going to leave this place. It's going to be another 270 years or more until that takes place, but it's going to happen. And he knows it's going to be a long time. Uh, presumably knows the prophecy that God made to, to Abraham. Uh, the revelation that God gave to, to Jacob. And he says, I want you to carry my bones 
from this place to the promised land when God finally does his work. And so Joseph left a great legacy of faith in his death. So Joseph died at the age of 110 years, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had sweetly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones away hence with you. Uh, when it was time of the Exodus, when God would ultimately deliver the children of Israel from bondage, even as we had talked about this morning, in that process, in that great pilgrimage, as all the people are living, leaving Egypt to go uh, in order, presumably, to serve God, one of the things they're doing is they're taking the bones of Joseph with them. It's a testimony. Um, maybe you've heard the phrase, though he dies, yet he speaks. And uh, Joseph, though he died, yet he spoke. In the, even the way in which he wanted his bones to be placed and to be cared for in such a way that it demonstrated the uh, faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, that God kept his word. Um, I would encourage us all to contemplate in uh, the days that are ahead and as death approaches and we know that the scripture says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment then unless the Lord returns each of us are going to die and I would encourage you to think about the kind of legacy that you want to leave when you die uh, your last words that you say to your family are incredibly important, even as we looked at last week, Jacob's last words to Joseph. Here, Joseph's last words to his brothers are about forgiveness, about trusting in God. Those last words that we say are the things that are remembered and cherished. Leave a legacy of faith to your children, to your grandchildren, to your great-grandchildren, and in the place of Joseph, even your great-great-great-grandchildren, if God would allow. Speak of his goodness. Speak of his grace. Think through your funeral as Joseph thought through his. And wanted to leave a, a legacy. What do you want said at your funeral? What do you want to be done at your funeral? How are you going to deal with the disbursement of your goods? What are you going to say in your will. All of those things are opportunities to leave a great legacy of faith. To once again say, what is the most important element in your life? What is it that moves you? And it's obvious in Joseph's life that it was his faith and trust in God that explained Everything he did. And without that faith and trust in God, you scratch your head, even as his brothers did. You see, the brothers really didn't understand how it was that he could forgive them. I would submit to you, because they're saying, placed in Joseph's shoes, 
they would never have been able to forgive what had been done to them. Because they couldn't forgive. They couldn't understand how Joseph could forgive. And the reason Joseph could forgive is because he had this incredible view of a sovereign God who oversees all events. And it is his faith in God that governs how he responds to his brothers. Next week we're going to look at that great sovereign work of God. Let's pray. Our Father, help us in our own lives to leave a legacy of faith. To die well. Not holding grudges. Not seeking to get even with family members. Not trying to do harm. Or in any way to destroy or to get even. With family members for the things that perhaps very realistically they have done against us. Maybe there are some here that have honest Situations in which they have been greatly mistreated by family members. Maybe a father, maybe a mother, maybe a sister, maybe a brother. I pray, O oh God, that you would grant by your spirit the ability to forgive. And then for those individuals to be able to extend that forgiveness to family members. What a powerful testimony of grace that is. I pray that if there is anyone here tonight that has somebody in their family that they're not speaking to, that they, they haven't been able to get along with, that, Lord, you would overcome even tremendously grievous heartaches and hurts. May you, by your compassion, create within them a compassion. May they see that they have an opportunity to really demonstrate what it means to place their faith and trust in you and to create a legacy so that that family member would truly receive the forgiveness and grace of God and impact generations to come. Lord, help us to see that the way that we relate to our family members has an impact for generations to come. May our influence be a godly one. May our legacy be one of faith and trust in you. Help us, O oh God, not to departmentalize our lives, but in every facet, every avenue, every responsibility and duty, whether it be at work or at home, may there be an integrity about us in which we are governed by your revelation to us, your word. Thank you for your grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Amen.